for amazing grace in my life. And it's not only saved me from the penalty of sin, it has not only promised me an inheritance in the heavens, but it has changed my life. The grace that Jesus has extended has changed my life. Not in simply a spiritual sense where I once was lost, now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. It has changed how I view this world. It has changed my activity in this world. It has changed my concerns in this world. It has changed my relationships in this world. You see, the Bible, when we speak about faith, when we speak about following Jesus in all He is, in all He does, many times we can be so focused on the eternal and the spiritual that we forget that this faith is an everyday faith. This faith is a faith that is meant to bring God glory in word and deed, in the very practical pointed simple aspects of my life it's meant to change us it's it's a faith that is is ingrained in us and and as it works in our lives in our hearts the outward from the inward takes place there's a new creation a new person and as we Come to Hebrews chapter 13. You can go ahead and turn there today in in your copy of God's Word. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, which you're welcome to do, it's going to be on page 1070. 1070. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, uh, feel free to take one of these. We find it to be very readable, very accurate. It's faithful and true. And uh, we want to make it our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible, please take it. We'll gladly replace it with another. They're not just for decoration. But as we come to chapter 13, as it's been divided for us so we can find where everybody's at, and I don't have to tell you, turn to the page that begins with the, you know, it's, it's nice to have these little numbers. They were added later, but we're looking at this section of the scripture and it's closing out this letter. Anytime you're trying to close out a letter or, or close out a speech, you're trying to give some simple, simple practical ways to apply what you've learned. To apply what has been discussed. Uh, when teachers finish up their, their, their period or their class for the day, they're kind of leaving like, like three points. Remember these things, take them with you, put into practice what you have heard so that you can be prepared for the next day. Uh, same thing happens with speeches and other things. And as this writer of Hebrews is closing out, he's giving this final exhortation, this final push towards taking what they have heard And making it practical. Putting it into application. Now, how many of you like practical statements? I think so. I like something that is useful. I like something that is helpful. I like something that is is able for me to to take and, and learn from. As we were sharing with the children earlier about the tape measure, you know, one of the things that's been uh, ingrained in us is to measure twice, cut once. Right. Because you would much rather cut once than cut twice. Um, and so it's easier to do that whenever you measure out what you're doing. 
one of the useful little sayings that was helpful to me uh, growing up is whenever you had to tighten a bolt or a nozzle or a faucet, what did you learn? Righty, tidy, lefty, loosey. All right, so simple. All right, you guys are following along. You're tracking along. All right, so those are those are some simple ones. Um, one of the simple tools that I was told when it came to preaching, whenever I asked, I, I actually did a little poll. I said, hey, I want, I want to look for some other pastors' help on this. What are some simple statements, some simple practical? And this is one I had heard before, uh, but it deals specifically with how pastors are to practically handle the sermon. The mind can only absorb what the hind can endure. All right. Useful, right? Uh, when I asked this, someone said, well, this is a pop culture practical lesson. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming, swimming. That's a hard one to remember, but yeah. Here's another one. Your common sense is not already another person's common sense. I was like, oh, that's useful. Oh, or how about this one? Solutions to some of our problems only exist after we go through them. Or this one. The price tag for their acceptance is also the price tag for their rejection. If you live for their acceptance, you may die for their rejection. Here's one. Whenever I think about doing something, I think to myself... Would an idiot do that? If an idiot would do that thing, I do not do that thing. Here's another one. Lack of preparation on your part does not constitute an emergency on mine. I could give you quite a few of these. Some of them are probably not appropriate from the from the pulpit because pastors can be fun, funny. And of course, the dad one. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. These are all solid pointed points that we can all readily absorb and put into practice. But sometimes when we view the Bible, we think, oh, where do I go? How do I, you know, turn, find what? What are some things that I can do? I know what it tells me to be as far as a child of God and trusting in Him. But what about the doing? How can I just listen to something God is telling me to do and put that into practice? Well, the ending of this letter is in simple statements. And so I would ask you to stand with me as we read the end of this letter after the case has been made of why Jesus is so much better. This is why you, this is how You follow Him in little ways that have profound practical impact. Verse 1 and following. Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality. For by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them and the, and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. Marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled. 
because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let us pray. Lord God, today as we read your word, we can continue reading on, but in this it's just so much for us to absorb, for so much for us to interpret, so much for us to apply. And I pray that you would help us do just that. I can only imagine what it would be like if that was said of your church. They loved one another. They showed kindness to the stranger. They suffered with those who suffered. They remembered their Savior. Lord, today help us learn from you what it means to practically follow you in ways that they profoundly impact the culture. They profoundly impact the home. They profoundly impact the workplace. Because they are living applicable testaments of our worship of you not because we're trying to make such a big name of ourselves but god we want the nations to know who you are in jesus name we pray amen you may be seated so today as we spend time in god's word as we do each week we want to help people answer these questions not just on a sunday morning worship gathering time scale but also in every way whenever you read the bible that you're seeking to see what it says for yourself you're seeking to find out what it means and how it applies and those are three big areas that we're going to focus on today What does the Bible say? What does it reveal? What is the revelation of God? What does it mean? What is the interpretation? And then what is the application? I have been to many places before where I've heard profound statements about what it means to know God and and see Him and, and, and what He meant in this place in the Bible, but left with, well, what am I to do with that? I, I've left before and thought, I have no idea how to apply that. Speaking of simple phrases, I had a professor that once said this. Uh, he probably got it from another place, but that's what pastors do. We don't plagiarize. We just uh, take something and borrow it because there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, we, he, he said, revelation plus interpretation without application will lead to a state of constipation. It'll lead to a place where we're blocked from following and doing what God has called us to do. We'll, 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 we'll become bloated and, 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 and able to be fully functioning in the way God intended. See, God has graciously given the revelation of His Word that we may know it, maybe see what it says, and we, we come to places like this where we learn from one another on what it means, how to interpret it. But we also have to see how it applies, where it leaves us to follow Him. In simple ways. But like all parts of the Bible, it's going to leave us with a choice. It's going to present us, will we trust what God is saying? Will we worship Him in our trust and obedience towards who 
He is. And today as we're looking at this last section of the book of Hebrews, after the case has been made of why Jesus is far superior above any other human figure, above any other supernatural power, that He Himself is God, that He holds all the authority and will be worshipped forever, what are we to do with that? How is that meant to change how we live? Obviously there's going to be the trust aspect. Obviously there's going to be the worship aspect. But what about our activity? And I believe the overall direction that this Scripture, this portion is taking us is that our faith in God will be demonstrated in the most practical ways as we relate to the world around us. That our faith is not meant to be just a Sunday morning in a bubble, in a building kind of faith. It is going to affect us in practical ways as we relate to the world around us. When you leave here, I hope that you take the message and it, it, you relate it to where you are and how you live in the world. And so I have eight statements from these verses we've just looked at. And they're very simple. The first of them is this practical statement. Live out your love for the saints. That whenever it comes to those who are adopted into the same family as you, They carry the same name that you carry. Maybe not on your birth certificate here on this earth, but in your adoption in heaven and under Christ, you are to live out your love for the saints. You're to continue in brotherly affection, as some translations would put it. You're to continue in affection. Now, how many of you know what affection is? Or have some clue? Nobody's raising their hands. I'm not going to, I'm not going to call on you. I'm not going to call on you. I, I promise you. I'm not going to put you on the spot that way. But I tell you what, we, we know what affection is. And we also know when affection goes too far. We call it PDA. Personal displays of affection. It's like one of the big rules in youth ministry and in schools. You know, there's a certain level of PDA that's acceptable and a certain level that's uncomfortable. But the problem sometimes People see in the church, they may see friendly smiles, but they don't see brotherly affection. Where you see each other as truly family. That you would be there for them in very visible ways. Not in grotesque, spoiling, abusive, twisted, misconstrued ways, but in ways that says, that person loves that person. They're not related by blood, but they're related by... The Son of God. And we are to have that type of affection for one another. It's to continue. We are not to withhold it. We're to demonstrate it. We're to live it out in practical ways. That way when people see the church and they will see the command being obeyed by Jesus, that command that He gave us, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. In this way, you should love one another. And by this, by this, the world will know that you are my disciples. By your love for one another. So you may wonder, how, how do I show that affection without it being grotesque or, or twisted or misconstrued? Remember whose name you carry and reflect it. Love your family in Christ like Christ loved them. Like Christ loved you. Use the example seen in Scripture. 
Sometimes that brotherly affection will be there in their time of need. Sometimes it will be careful correction. Sometimes it will be rebuke. But it will be done in love. So that the world may see and know that we are His disciples. By our love we have for one another. You see, the love that's in the church is not meant to be this theoretical, abstract, but not really practical love. No, it's to be a present, visual, tangible love. We're to have that type of affection and it's to continue. We're also to live out our kindness for strangers. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality. For by doing so, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. It says that you are meant to have an outward display of kindness to strangers. That those that you may not yet know their name, you see their value as a person. You see them as a life created by God. You see them as one that God in eternity past looked and said, that person is a good idea. I'm going to write their story. And we as the church, those adopted by grace that that have the living God dwelling among us, we look at their life and we're just saying, you know what, I don't know what they're going through. They may be having the worst day, but I'm going to show kindness because my God said they were, their life was worth living. Their life was worth creating. Their life has value. And just as God showed kindness to us while we were strangers, lost, enemies of God in rebellion, God gave us the shock factor of grace. He showed kindness to us. And that led us to repentance. We are to show kindness for strangers. And the Bible says, who knows? Some of you may have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. There may be people you come across that I don't know why God has laid it out this way. I cannot explain it fully. But in His phenomenal, infinite wisdom, He has placed strategically those that look like flesh and blood, but they were embodiments of the supernatural walking among us. We're to show kindness for strangers. I think of this moment where God instructs a man named Ananias I know there's like three of them in the book of Acts, but this one man named Ananias to go meet a man he had never met before who except for knowing his name was a complete stranger. But going and sharing with him the testimony of God's grace upon his life and laying on his hands to offer the healing he needed. And that stranger who by all knowledge at that moment was a terrorist against God's people, a zealot persecuting them, torturing them, and calling for their murder. A stranger showed kindness, and his life was forever changed. And he's written 13 letters out of our New Testament, the man Apostle Paul. Let us not overlook what kindness, living out grace to those that we may not know, or we may know very little, can do. We also to live out our remembrance for the suffering. In this time of writing, I shared with you before that the book of Hebrews was written to a people, the, the Hebrew followers of Jesus that had recognized who Jesus was and placed their faith in Him. And in the middle of that, there was an uncertainty because some of them had been kicked out of their homes. They had been abandoned by their physical families for following this Jesus. It was such a controversial call to do that, to choice in their life. But they also were facing persecution from the Roman government at this time. 
so that some of them were imprisoned. They were suffering unfairly merely because of their faith, not because they had committed extraordinary crimes. But you know what I notice? It doesn't differentiate between which ones are in prison. It just says, remember those. Remember those in prison. Remember those that are in that process, though they may be facing the consequences of their their sins and their crimes, or they may be unjustly imprisoned. Remember them. Remember the suffering. Remember those in need of love. And remember them in a way that it's like you yourself are suffering with them. Someone asked last week, at our quarterly business meeting, they asked, Pastor, does anybody in our area or in our church go and visit the jails? And I'm going to tell you, brother, that question, it was, it was really convicting because I know the ministry that does it, but I don't go. I don't go. It was pretty convicting. But I am thankful for those who do. And, and, and if we can partner with those that do. There's a ministry in our, in our own county called Forgotten Man Ministries. They go to the county jails and they share the gospel. I have a friend who's a pastor down in Detroit at a church called New Life. His name is Art Weir. You can pray for him. He, he has a church of about 40 people. Turnaround, over turnaround, over turnaround, because his church was one of the very first replants. One, a dead church died and yielded, and a new church was birthed in that place. But also, his church owns and op- uh, owns runs an operating addiction center, residential for men in his church. And he says there's there's only four outcomes that happen, or three outcomes, excuse me. They either have their life turned around and they never touch the stuff again. They go through a period of relapse over and over again or they die. He says, that's really it. That's the only three outcomes we see. But he works in this residential addiction group and he, he also works in the prisons and the jails. He goes each day, each week, once a week to, to teach the Bible to those in prison because you know what? They need the gospel too. They need the gospel too. And maybe your role is not to go and everybody this morning go pack up in a vehicle, go and watch the Super Bowl with the jail. That may not be your goal today. But are you remembering those who are suffering? And remember, they need the Jesus that you have just as much as you need them. And it may be hard to walk with them. And you may have to relate to their suffering. You may have to walk and have angst and be like, man, there's only three outcomes here but I'm going to play my part to see whatever God will do in their life. We are to live out our remembrance for the suffering. And in this city such as ours, it would not take us walking very far to find someone we could help in need. Maybe it's where you work in the school or in the plant. Or maybe it's where you volunteer during the week. Maybe it's where you go eat out on Sundays. Be amazed how many people are working shifts. That's their third or fourth job. Live out your remembrance for the suffering. And remember the kindness that God extended to you. And that He was willing to suffer on your part. To take your suffering. Live out your marriage as sacred. In this place, the family unit is held up high. And there's a reason that the family unit is held up high in Christian culture because the family unit of husband and wife is meant to be a 
picture painted on the, the tapestry of humanity that says this is a depiction of Christ and His church. Christ loving His church in such a way that He will be holy and undefiled for her and sacrifice for her. And the, the, the wife being such in submission, the church being in submission, that they will follow His lead to the ends of the earth. It's meant to be sacred and kept that way. Now, I am not foolish enough to, to believe that in a room like this that has been the perfect picture of every single marriage that is in this room or in, near in proximity to this room. You may have walked through families where that was not the picture. It may have happened in your own home where that was not the picture. But I'm thankful to God there is grace upon grace for our time of need. But it does not mean that we continue defiling. We say, God, in, in, in your grace that is breathed out to me in this moment where I may have fallen short or I may have seen others fall short, help me continue that no longer. Help me find a way to live in holiness and to honor this precious gift that is a picture of what you did for me. A picture of your grace on the cross. A picture of your holiness. We're to live it out. And we're to honor and help and encourage those to live it out. We're never to lessen marriage. There are some extreme cases where it is worthy of consideration that, that you should really think about separating a marriage. But they're very extreme. We as a church are to help condone and help bring healing and to hold up marriages sacred where there can be. And for those who cannot find that we're to still extend grace and to welcome those that need love and healing in the middle of their suffering we're to live out our stewardship in satisfaction it says keep your life free from the love of money be satisfied with what you have for he himself has said i will never leave you or abandon you in other words jesus has said i am with you and there's no greater promise or provision than that but to some I have blessed in, in great wealth and some I have blessed in little wealth. But nevertheless, I have never left them without provision of myself in their life. But keep yourself in this place where you understand it is a stewardship. It may be in your hands, but you do not own it. It may be in your boundary, in your territory, but it is not yours to keep. That there is a God who has given you a stewardship so that it may be used for His glory. And that you don't let money become your God. But you'd remember that with Christ I have all I need. So help me to, with my view of Christ having all I need, use this stewardship wisely. And for those in this room who say, well, pastor, that's not my problem. I, I do want more money, but I don't have it. There are three possessions that, are, that have been provided for you for you to be a good steward of. There's treasure, to be sure, your, your finances. But there's also your time and your talent. That these are not to be, to be corrupted and turned into gods. That you remember God has provided this and walked with you with those so that they may be used for His glory as well. And that you be satisfied following in Him. Satisfied with what He is, who He is, what He has done. And where He is leading. You're to live out your stewardship and satisfaction. Not in a lack of contentment. The Bible puts it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 3. That godliness 
with contentment is of great gain. That following after your Lord, worshiping Him, honoring Him, living a holy life, knowing what He has done for you, and enjoying that, that is great gain. That is satisfaction like no other. Live that out. You're to live your, out your speech about the Savior. That's why he says, therefore we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? We're to live out our speech about this Jesus and live it out boldly. We can boldly say this because of who Jesus is. This Jesus who is far superior, far better, far greater, far more excellent. The perfect one who in his grace came to us to make himself known so that we may make him known to others. We're to speak about him. And we're to speak about Him with, as it's good news. You know that? Did you know the Bible, the, the gospel is good news? Is it? Is it good news? If it's good news, all of you are wired to share it. If it's good news, all of us are wired to share it. Why do I know that? Every one of us can share good news. There is not a single soul in this room that is incapable of sharing good news. Grandparents, how many of you showed them babies? How many of you showed them pictures of them babies? You do. Why? Because it's good news. You're happy. You're overflow with joy. There's these lives and they're precious to you. You're wired to share good news. How many of you, if you got a promotion at your job, you're going to be like, well, that's bad news. No, I mean, maybe it is in some ways, but for the most part, it's good news. More money, more provision, better responsibility. You want to share that? If you've, I asked you a minute ago, who are you cheering for tonight? Some of you said Chiefs, some of you said 49ers. Most of you said Chiefs, I think, if I heard that right. So, oof, we can all dream, my friend. The statement of a loyal Lions fan next season. But I venture to say that tonight, those of faith and those without, if their team wins, they're going to celebrate it. They're going to share about it. Some are going to go to Facebook and they're going to tag what everybody else in the world knows. Guess what? The Chiefs won. And we're like, well, duh, we were watching the game too. But they'll celebrate when their team is victorious. Why? Because all of us are wired to share good news. All of us are boldly capable of saying, this is good. The question then remains for the church, is the gospel really good news? Because if it is, we're wired to share it. And if we're not sharing it, we probably don't think it's good enough. We should be those that boldly say, therefore, because of what we have in Jesus, we boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What command do to me? I will share it even though I may walk through shadows of death. What could man do to me? The Lord is my helper. He will never leave me or abandon me. I will share His good news. Live out your speech about the Savior. Number seven, live out your responsibility by your shepherds, with your shepherds, 
It says, remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives. Imitate faith. And I will be, just tell you the truth. I am so glad that this is just in the, in the consequence of where we're studying in the scripture that you didn't come here today. It says, oh, he was really just trying to get around that point. He's somebody, he's mad at somebody and that kind of thing. No, we're just going to preach where we get to. But, We have a responsibility when it comes to shepherds in our life. Whether it's me or someone else, I have not always been the pastor of this church and I will not always be the pastor of this church. One day, I hope to stay here until the Lord calls me home. I really believe that. I've come to that conviction. But one day, someone else will be the pastor here should the Lord tarry. And we're to live out a responsibility to them. As those who speak God's Word to you, carefully observe the outcome of their lives. And I love that. It doesn't say imitate every aspect of their lives. It doesn't say be just like them. It says carefully observe the outcome of their lives. Because some shepherds will lead you where you do not need to go. They will not preach the Word and hold that to you. But those that do imitate their faith. As you observe the outcome, imitate their faith. The the part that is worthy of imitating, follow it. In verses 17 through 18, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep a watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. And the writer says, Pray for us for we are convinced that we, we are convinced that we have a clear conscience wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything so when it comes to your shepherds your responsibility is to observe their life carefully take what needs to be applied as they preach and proclaim the word and live out their faith take that and see how it'll apply to your life but also when it comes to the direction and authority follow as we sense the lord leading us together and help hold them accountable I am thankful for brothers and sisters that will help hold me accountable because the Bible clearly warns me I will be held to a greater account. And that's okay. It's terrifying, but it's okay. But pray for us. Pray for those that lead you so they can continue doing so with joy, not with grief. Because the overall impact of that is it would be unprofitable for you. And pray for us that as we live We will do so with a clear conscience. That we will conduct ourselves honorably in everything. I shared with you a couple weeks ago that song that my grandmother had me sing. He's still working on me. And I'm going to tell you, that's that's a very big living testimony. There's so many things that he is still working on me. I am not perfect by any means. But pray for me. Pray for your teachers. Pray for your leaders to live out the faith honorably. To lead following God out the word that is our responsibility with any shepherd that's the responsibility i had to learn under pastors that led me that's the responsibility we must all continue to learn and lastly live out your relationship with the son of god live out your relationship with the son of god we finished today reading in hebrews 13 verse 8 jesus christ is the same yesterday Today and forever. The same God that walked with the patriarchs in the book of Genesis. 
The same God that walked with the Israelites in the book of Exodus. The same God that delivered the second generation in Jericho in the book of Joshua. The same God who rose up, rose up kings like David. The same God who allowed the prophets to speak. The same God that the disciples walked with is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. The same God that walks among us. We have the same Jesus. We don't get Jesus light. We've got the same full Jesus who has always been and who will always be. And we have a, a, a goal of living out our relationship with Him who is and was and will always be. Yesterday, today, and forever. And the admonishment here comes in verses 20 through 21. When you remember that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, letting that really sink in that we had the same Jesus. The prayer for the people is now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do His will working in us what is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. See, living out your relationship with the Son of God first comes with recognizing that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the resurrected One that gave His life as a covenant promise available to save us. He is the One who provides and is the good news. It begins there. That's living out our relationship. First of all, coming alive in Christ by taking on the gospel. But it is also understanding that what He does in our lives equips us with everything good to do His will over our ways. To work what is pleasing in His sight over what is pleasing to our devices. And who deserves glory forever and ever. Amen. The writer of Hebrews, writing to the early church, he gave them these practical ways to live out their faith as they relate to the world around them. Why would he do that? Because the world still needs to know. They still need to see. Not only with words that we speak, but with the actions that we live out. Jesus is better. Jesus is who we need. Jesus is who the church is meant to communicate and give. Let's give them Jesus. There's nothing better we could ever give them. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, today I ask that you would help us to be mindful of these practices. And that we would understand that we do these not because we're trying to earn brownie points with you. Not because there's a gold star system. But because of your gospel that frees us from the penalty of sin, it rescues us from death. It makes us children of God. Adopted into a family. A family that's meant to live and breathe and move and and speak in word and deed what it means to know You. So Lord, help us to live these things out. Where we need to be shaped and chiseled to do better, God, let us know that as a process of Your grace, That we would trust and obey in those matters. Where we have been convicted in our conscience and know that 
We need to repent. Lord, let us approach the throne of grace in our time of need and recognize You as the Good Shepherd who does this out of kindness, who does this out of infinite godly wisdom, who does this because You are a Father who will never abandon His children. And Lord, help us be the church that lives out that relationship with You in all these practical ways. In Jesus' name, Amen. At this time, we have our closing. Our musicians are going to make their way and prepare for our closing. They're going to play some music. But we always give this time of response. And I don't know what that looks like for you. We always give the caveat that if you just need to spend time in prayer with God right where you are, based on what you've heard from the Word, feel free to do so. That's the beauty of our relationship with Jesus. He doesn't have to go through any other man. Any other being, we can relate directly to the Lord as He relates directly to us. But there is those possibilities that sometimes you need help. You need a, a question answered. You need encouragement. You need prayer. You need some counsel. And as someone who's called to be a shepherd in this church, I, I want to help do that. So if I can offer that and extend that to you, whether it be a first step in trusting the Lord as your Savior, I want to help you. Or maybe it's another next step. Maybe as a disciple you say, I'm a child of God, but I've never taken that personal faith and made it public through baptism and I need to be baptized. Maybe as a child of God you said, I, I, I know Jesus but that whole brotherly affection thing, that whole being rooted among a, a family, I don't know what that is. I've never done that. Or I haven't done it in a long time. And I need to be connected with a family that I can show love and be loved by. Maybe it's a mission that God is calling to you. And He's saying, there's a way for you to show kindness to the stranger. To walk along with suffering. And you need to take that next step to say... I don't know where I need to go, but I need help getting there. Whatever it is, if I can offer you any help in this time, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make myself available. But the most important decision is, what will you do with following where Jesus is leading you?